the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dark clouds have swept in again with the tragic news from Evaldi, Texas. Darkness seems to be hovering over the world these days with our Orthodox brothers and sisters in Christ killing each other in the Ukraine and our own countrymen taking up arms against the innocent and the defenseless while our nation stubbornly refuses to stop murdering innocents in the womb. The weight and oppression of this darkness can be overwhelming. The evangelist Matthew, quoting the prophet Isaiah, talked about a people who sat in darkness, who sat in the region and shadow of death. This is what it feels like, I know. But we as Christians must not sorrow as those who have no hope. These are the words of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. We read that epistle passage at every funeral service. To not sorrow as those who have no hope. St. Paul, later in the epistle to the Thessalonians, he said, You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Though the darkness is overwhelming, it is nothing compared to the light. Literally nothing. You see, darkness, evil, have no substance. They only exist as negation, whereas light, good, have substance. I've been reading this wonderful book. If it was a book for our day and age, it would be this. It's called Anxiety, How It Is Created and How It Is Healed. And this is by Archimandrite Simeon Fergiopoulos. He says... As you know from the fathers of the Orthodox Church, evil is the absence of good. Evil cannot exist in and of itself. It is the same with darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Wherever there is light, it would be impossible for us to say that we could gather darkness in order to darken the light. If there is light, darkness has no hold. It is non-existent because it only exists in the absence of light. This is also how evil exists, in the absence of good. When God is present in the soul, when he lives inside the soul, there's no room for the devil. He has no place there. When the light of God is present in the soul, when God is present as light, there is no room for darkness. Even if we want to put darkness in the soul, it stands no chance, because spiritual darkness is the absence of the light of God. It stands no chance, he says. In the words of St. Paul's epistle, he says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You see, when we talk or think about light and darkness, good and evil, we must understand that there is no equivalency between the two. It's not yin and yang, two sides, two halves. When our spiritual eyes are darkened, we lose this hope. We think that the darkness has great power. Today in the gospel, we hear about someone who was deeply darkened. This man who stands so boldly before the Pharisees. He was a poor, blind beggar on the street, and our Lord had compassion upon him. Our Lord came to him and healed him. 
gave him his instructions. He said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so this man, this great miracle occurred in this man. And to understand something about this, if you don't already know this, as the church reveals, he was born without eyes. Born without eyes. This is why he says in the Gospels, never in the history of the world has a man born blind been given sight. Because he wasn't just blind, he was without eyes. And so this miracle that occurred, such a great miracle that the people remembered this. And if you remember later on when Lazarus is dying, and Lazarus died, what did the people say? They said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of that blind man have raised Lazarus from the dead? It was such a profound miracle, such a profound miracle that the people still remember that. He was born without eyes. The hymns speak beautifully about this. From Vespers last night, it said, the man who was born blind thought to himself, was I born without eyes because of my parents' sin? Was I born to be proof because of the Gentiles' unbelief? I'm not competent to ask when it is night or when it is day. My feet cannot endure stumbling on the stones. You see, I have never seen the sun shining, nor ever seen the image of him who created me. Imagine that. He's never seen the image of his creator. But I pray you, O Christ God, to look upon me and have mercy on me. The story of the blind man is ultimately a story about us. We hear this gospel reading and we realize, if we have the eyes to see, that we are in poverty and blinded, spiritual poverty and spiritual blindness. And this also the hymns point to. One says, the eyes of my noetic soul have become blind, O loving Lord, because of dark and sinful deeds. O Savior, lead me to the light, implant in me humility, Master and purify me with tears of repentance. And another hymn, in the eyes of soul have I become unseeing. Unto you I come, O Christ, as did of old the man born blind, and in repentance I cry to you, for those in darkness you are the most resplendent light. We are in darkness, we are blind. And this is why when tragedies like this tragedy, this latest tragedy, tragedy occur, they cause us to despair, they cause us to suffocate under fear and anxiety, because we are in darkness. We're all born blind, born without our spiritual eyes. Our spiritual light is darkened. When our Lord said, I am the light of the world, as he said in the gospel today, what exactly does that mean? That means all light, every light, comes from him. That also means if we desire to not be in darkness, there's only one place to go. There's only one place to direct ourselves. And every other thing that we try to put into our lives as important and meaningful is nothing because it is not in the light of Christ. He is the only light. All light comes from him. Like the sun he is the day. Even at night, what's the brightest light at night? The sun. 
The sun is the brightest light at night. It's not the moon. The moon has no light. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. So even at nighttime, the lightest light is the sun. And this is how we must be. We must become like the moon, reflecting our Lord's light. And yet so often we become or try to become our own self-sufficient sun. Father Zacharias of Essex, in commenting about this gospel, he says this, Our Lord Jesus Christ did not seek his own glory, but the glory of him who sent him, as he himself said. Thus also man, as the mirror of the glory of God, should not reflect anything of himself, but only that which has been given to him from above. Neither should he try to hold on to anything for himself, but return everything to God with thanksgiving. Think how we say glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's like we leave here and go into our lives and say glory to me, myself, and I. We make our own trinity. The soul should not take as its light something from itself that is something created, meaning we shouldn't try to make our own light, but rather should reflect the light of God which is uncreated. I think of an analogy of a candlelight versus sunlight. Is there any light that we can create that stands a chance against the sun's light? If you think of the brightest spotlights, you could put them out in the daytime and suddenly they're nothing, nothing at all. And so he concludes, he says, we urgently need to acknowledge our poverty and blindness, our ignorance of the mystery of our beloved God. So how do we become mirrors, mirrors of the glory of God, light in darkness, in this world that needs light so much? The church reveals the way for us. It's two concepts that are dimly understood within the world. Humility and obedience. These two words are foreign to our world, so I need to explain them a little bit. Humility, as Father Zacharias just said in that quote, is acknowledging our own poverty. Like the blind beggar, he was a beggar on the street. We too must be, as our Lord said, poor in spirit. We must recognize that we are nothing, that we have nothing but what God has given us. It is not about us, it's not about what we have accomplished, because all of it comes from God. And as soon as we start deviating from that, imagining it coming from ourselves, and just kind of forgetting about God and doing our things, we already are moving into darkness. I brought a lot of books today. I'll make one other long quote here. This is... There's too much to say on humility. We could read books and books about it, but this is St. Paisios, a very recent saint, in the book Passions and Virtues. The humble person has all the spiritual fragrances, simplicity, meekness, unconditional love, goodness, forbearance, sacrifice, obedience, since he has spiritual poverty. He also enjoys the fullness of spiritual wealth. He is also devout and silent. This is why he has kinship with the most blessed Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, who had great humility. Even though she carried God incarnate in her womb, 
She did not speak out at all until Christ himself spoke at the beginning of his public ministry when he was 30. At the greeting of the archangel, Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. She did not say, I will become the mother of the Son of God. She is a servant, and she is also the bride of God. She is both the virgin and the mother. She is a creature of God, and she is also the mother of the creator. These are great mysteries, most paradoxical, which cannot be explained, but only experienced. And a little bit more from him. When God desires from us, what God desires from us is to have a little humility in order to have kinship with him. In other words, to join the light, we must be like the light. And then all his gifts come abundantly, one after another, for in a way God owes much grace to the humble person, and so he gives it to him as a gift without being asked to do so. This is a spiritual law. Quote, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Is this not written in the gospel? This is how God has arranged it. To be humble means I have divine grace. A very humble person receives much grace from God, for the humble person absorbs divine grace like a sponge. Whoever bows humbly and receives the blows of others, dispels his own bumps and lumps, becomes as spiritually beautified as an angel, and thus is admitted through the narrow gate of paradise. The only way to heaven is through a spiritual descent, not a worldly ascent. This is hot. Humility, and just a little touch of the description of what humility is. But hopefully St. Paisios' words help us to understand how important humility is. And this leads to obedience, which is a word even more misunderstood in our society. What is obedience? Obedience is the harmony of two wills. You've never heard it described like that, have you? Obedience is the harmony of two wills. Think of Christ with his Father. Their wills are in in harmony, such great harmony that St. Paul says he was obedient even unto death. He is the new Adam, the one who was obedient to the heavenly Father. The old Adam and Eve were disobedient. Our Lord said, This is my will, that you eat of everything in the garden except this one tree. And they chose to separate their will from him, to cause a division, a discord in their wills. The word obedience is hipakui, which has an aspect of hearing, of listening attentively. But it's important to understand, and this is where we often misunderstand obedience. Obedience always has freedom. Always obedience is something that the person below willingly places on themselves. And this is where we get all kinds of wrong ideas about obedience, whether it's that we're rebelling from obedience or whether that we're trying to exert obedience on another person. It's because we don't understand that freedom is always there in true obedience, in godly obedience. The person chooses to place themselves in harmony with the other's will. Obedience is always about the state of the person who is putting themselves in obedience. 
We so often think of it like the person on top is exerting obedience on the person below them, saying, you have to do what I say. Think of parents and children, situations like that, or bosses and the, their employees. And this is not obedience at all. It's something that happens in a worldly way, but obedience is what rises up from the person below. The employee who willingly says, I will do what this person says. The child who says, yes, I will follow what my father or mother are saying. That's where the obedience is. It's not from the top down, but from the bottom up. And so there's always that freedom. The person can say, I'm not going to follow their will. I'm going to do my own will. I won't talk about situations where one is receiving someone else's obedience about parents or, or rather situations where someone is giving obedience. But today it's about how we place ourselves in obedience. So what does that mean for us? It means that we're harmonizing our will with God. This is what it means. That we are no longer a source of conflict, no longer ones who are exerting our own will, but rather placing ourselves in obedience within the life of the church, within the life of our families, within the life of our work, everywhere around us. We have the opportunity, the freedom, to choose to place ourselves below. And this is where humility and obedience really are completely interwoven with each other. You can't really have one without the other or the other without one. But it's essential because it is a harmony of the wills, because it is ultimately the harmonizing of my will with God's will. Because the humble person sees that everything that happens in life is all within the loving providence of God. And so if we humbly accept what comes to us, if we receive these things in freedom and grace, then we receive God's grace and we become light bearers. Because ultimately, how can I be union, in union with God when my own will is what I live by, my own desires, my own things? St. Ephraim of Katunakia said, obedience is life. He was very blunt about these things. So I want to close after talking about humility and obedience. We are ultimately circling back to light. We need to be those who bear light. That word phosphorescent, that means light bearer. We need to be phosphorescent. We need to be those who bear light in a darkened world. When I was living in Las Vegas, um, they had started building these new power plants south of Las Vegas. They have a lot of sunshine, by the way, in Las Vegas. <laughs> and so they came up with this new kind of power plant, which was you have a tall tower, you have water up there, or somehow a way of heating the water. And how do you heat the water? You just put a bunch of mirrors all around it. So you'd be driving down the freeway and you see this massive array. At first you think that they're, they're um, solar panels, but they're not all pointing at the sun. They're all pointing at this central place and they're receiving the light of the sun, sending it to this tower. It's heating incredibly high heat and then that produces energy. A lot of science there. But the image that I want you to have is all of these mirrors in harmony towards a common purpose. This ultimately is our life in Christ. Because me, I'm nothing. By myself, I'm nothing. I'm a little pathetic candle. 
I might try to make myself into a candle. But when you and me and all of us join together with the light of Christ, not my invention of what the light of Christ is, but through humility and obedience, humbling my will, truly knowing the divine will, then all of us become in harmony and imagine the light that we can send into this world. Because there have been a lot of conversations in the last few days and the weeks ahead about solutions to the problem. Problem of school shootings, problem of violence, whatever you want to describe it as. And these are all solutions to a symptom. They're not solutions to the cause. We right here, hundreds of miles away from Texas, we right here can be shining the light of Christ in the whole world. This is our role. And this is how we overcome that darkness. Because my brothers and sisters, darkness has no being. Darkness has no hold. And in these times of darkness, don't forget that. Our only goal, our only aim is to become bearers of light. And I'll close with a hymn from the Orthros this morning. O Christ our God, the noetic son of righteousness, who by your immaculate touch illumined in both ways the man who was deprived of sight from his mother's womb, do also illuminate the eyes of our souls and make us sons of the day, so that with faith we may cry out to you, great and ineffable is your compassion for us, O Lord, who loves humanity. Glory to you. Amen. Let us all say.